Are you asking the management teams in your portfolio the questions that really matter? Are you able to discern fact from fiction? Find out what legendary investor Rick Rule, the director, president, and chairman of Sprout U.S. Holdings, directly asks all CEOs before he invests. To receive a free copy, simply submit your email below so that you may invest with courage and conviction. Welcome to Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson, and joining me today is a very respected guest that I've followed for years, David Morgan, the author of a, a book that every precious metals, hard money advocate, lover of the Constitution must have in their portfolio. David Morgan, thank you for joining us today. Well, Maurice, thank you for having me. Sir, I've followed your work for the last five years, and I must say, you have really put me to the challenge as a U.S. citizen to make me really delve into the Constitution and to learn more and to think critically. Um, you're known as the silver guru, but I tell you, you're much more deeper in breadth and depth than that. And um, i like to talk to you today about a, a number of things that are on my mind, uh, first beginning with uh, what's going on right now in the economy, specifically the stock market. Uh, would you like to have an opinion on that? Well, I've got an opinion on almost anything, as you well know, and, and thank you for the introduction. And yes, uh, the Silver Manifesto is available on Amazon. Uh, it's also available as an ebook, which saves you some money. And for those that like audiobooks, and I myself do, it helps me to uh, get better educated in the, the world we live. Uh, it's available as an audiobook now as well. So coming back to the question, uh, the stock market, by any metric that normal analysts would use about the stock market, the general equity market, not a specific stock, is it's overvalued. It's overvalued on an earning basis. It's overvalued on a, a book-to-value basis. It's overvalued in any way, basically, that you can look at it. However, the idea about a high stock market or a big number seems to be one of the mainstream presses best means of propaganda to lull the main citizenry almost to sleep because looking at a high Dow convinces a lot of people that don't really know financial markets or understand how the stock market works that if the industrials are doing well, then the economy must be doing well. And even though perhaps I don't feel like the economy is doing well or my neighbor or my family doesn't, look at that stock market. Wow, wow, wow. That's sort of the subset that may be going on unconsciously throughout the populace. The truth is that the financial markets or the stock market used to reflect actual physical economic conditions. In other words, if you had a strong industrial base and a good transportation index, I believe in doubt theory, so if you had a strong industrials, strong transportations, utilities were strong, then that was a reflection on a robust economy. In today's market, where almost all markets are manipulated, it is not reflective of the real economy. So people's inner knower, if you will, they can look around and see the devastation in any hometown. And, of course, there's pockets of enthusiasm here and there. I'm not saying it's totally dark or totally bleak. But the reality is that the labor participation rate's the lowest it's been in decades. The unemployment rate is far higher than the 
propaganda press will lead you to believe. So the physical economy is much worse than a stock market would indicate. And I believe this is absolutely, totally, and completely by design. Yeah. That this is something that the mainstream is well aware of and that it keeps, again, the people uh, thinking that things, if they're not better personally, that they're going to get better just ahead. So that's a very long comment. I'd, I'd appreciate hearing what you think about that because you could probably add on or, or make some corrections or some uh, comments on what I've said. Absolutely. Uh, as you know, for the listeners there, uh, I'm a staunch advocate for hard money and I'm a staunch advocate for the Constitution. And uh, what I notice as well, in as you were well aware of, David, is this, that we have a lot of sophisms in the press. And the sophism is a lie that's been told over and over again until you accept it as truth. You alluded to the stock market and how the numbers are high. I think today the Dow's were roughly it's over 17,300 as we speak. And the price of gold probably is, what, 1,060 as we speak. And so there's a bifurcation if you look at the numbers and people – in masses like something that is green, something that is going up and something that has momentum as they may be persuaded to believe that there is momentum there. And I like to always make the distinction between fool's gold, which is called calcopyrate and real gold. And if you really knew the truth, the deception that you have with the stock market is you have what's called the Dow divisor. And I'd encourage anyone to look this up. You take companies that comprise the Dow and you have a Dow divisor. If you took away the Dow divisor, you'd have a very, very close relationship with the price of gold. I wonder why they do that. Uh, do, do you? I have no formal or technical reason or academic reason of knowing why they would put in a Dow divisor other than to create momentum in something that really isn't there. If you're not familiar with the Dow divisor, what it is is essentially you're taking 30 companies that comprise the Dow and you divide that by – 0.1496, and it's a long number, but just round it up there. And it takes the price of those 30 Dows to 17,000. But the reality is, is if you took away that number, uh, it would not be there. The, the, the numbers reflecting the stock market would be closer to 2,000, probably maybe upper 2,000. So it's a much closer relationship to the price of gold. And I think that's part of the manipulation that you have is the Federal Reserve doesn't want you to go into derivatives of money, which is currency, which is what you use to purchase stocks because you can't use gold or silver to purchase stocks. And I just always found that interesting, but I never could get an answer in the world of academia when I was there on why we had the Dow Divisor. And I'm a business management uh, a graduate, and I never could get an answer you know, over the years of my study. So I was just well, curious. Let me, well, let me add on to that. Uh, first of all, that's great to get that you know out into the table. Excuse me, that's great to get that out on the table because now people want to know what it is. And I agree with you, Maurice. Uh, I think it's part of the scheme of things. Now, I don't want to make everything that we look at as conspiracy, and I'm not saying that it is. But I think it's odd that if you didn't have the Dow Divisor, that it would be a different number. What I do know is that it's a lot easier to manipulate 30 stocks than 500. The S&P 500 is a little bit more reflective of the real economic conditions than the Dow is. The other thing about the Dow that most people don't know, unless they you know, know a little bit about the stock market, is that those companies rotate. If you have a company that's doing poorly, it's taken out and it's replaced by a stronger company. And this has been going on for a very, very long time. So if you go back to when the Dow started, I think there was a, like one or two companies that still make up the Dow from the original formation of the Dow Jones Industrials. And this is a key concept because it's not a true measure. 
it's like being able to change the rules in the middle of a soccer game for a, a, an analogy. You're not looking at the same game by the fourth quarter that you started with because they keep changing the rules. And this is something, again, that I think uh, really focuses in this sort of man behind the curtain kind of an analogy, this metaphor that the Wizard of Oz is, that it's the great and powerful Oz, and look at the Tao, and look at the numbers, and look at how great it is, and yada, 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 and you pull back the curtain, and you see this little old man pulling a bunch of levers and uh, causing this idea that things are really, really good when in reality it's just anything but. So thank you for that. It's something that I've never been asked before. I don't really have an answer, but my ideas follow yours. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up as well, uh, the reference to the, the, the stocks changing, because I've had some debates with those that are uh, professed Keynesians, and the rebuttal to me was, well, look at the Dow back in 1971 and look at the price of gold. And I then I share with them, are you aware, before we get into this debate, let's pull up the companies that comprised the Dow in 1971. And although it's not even Christmas, you do hear silent night carols because they're not aware. Like, whoa, I didn't take that in consideration before I tried to rebut you. And let's see if those companies are still there. And you made the point earlier, they're not there. And so the target is moving, and that allows you to make the case against gold when you're debating against me until you realize, wait a minute, uh, I was not aware of this factual information here. <laughs> well, another way to look at gold, you know, first of all, my belief is that gold is a wealth preserver. It's a crisis hedge more than being an inflation or deflation hedge. It's sort of a vote against government manipulated currencies. And in the long run, it does preserve wealth. I mean, what no one really talks about from the foundation of the Federal Reserve is that, let's say you had a very wealthy uncle, Maurice, and back in 1913, your uncle gave you $1 million in currency. And today, in 2016, you would still have a million dollars of currency. And believe me, a million dollars in currency in 2013 was a pretty rare event. But let's say that you had the choice. Uh, of course, this would be projecting in the future, but this is just a thought experiment and it makes a point mm -hmm. that you had the choice with your rich uncle. Instead of taking a million dollars in currency, you took a million dollars in gold coins. Now, where would you be in 2016? Well, in one case, you'd have a million dollars. That currency would be a million dollars. But if you took it in gold, Gold in 1913 was roughly $20 an ounce, and today it's 1,000 an ounce. So if you divide 20 into 1,000, you will come out with the number of 50. So you would have the equivalent of $50 million instead of $1 million. And this is something that almost anybody can grasp the concept of. Uh, they'll tell you that you know gold does this, and it doesn't go up, and it doesn't this, it doesn't that. Well, let's look at this over roughly a 100-year period. What did it do? Exactly. Uh, you know, I give a, a smaller case analogy. I say the year's 1971 is August 14th, and you have two kitchen drawers. You have $35 or 35 Federal Reserve notes, as I usually say, and you put them in drawer number one. In drawer number two, you put an ounce of gold. And today you open those up. What will the 35 Federal Reserve notes purchase you? The answer is a lot less than what they could in 1971. And now look at what that ounce of gold will purchase you. And that's to me is the best clear definitive case, as you just mentioned one as well, <laughs> of which one is a wise and prudent and solid investment. 
David, I'd like to ask you a question here. I know that you're a strong advocate of precious metals, but I want to hone in more on silver. Let's take a look at today. It's uh, December 2015, and I have 15 Federal Reserve notes, and I can put them in drawer number one, and I have one ounce of silver, and I can put it into drawer number two. Uh, let's let's go fast forward a couple of years from now. Where do you think these two will end up in valuation? Well, history proves that uh, over a longer time frame, in two years, I'm not sure, but a uh, longer time frame, silver will certainly do better than the Federal Reserve note will. The point about silver that's a little more tricky than gold is that it's a smaller market and it's more volatile. And so you can have these huge moves in silver and you can have a corresponding move in gold that's maybe one third as big. I'll digress just really quickly. If you go back to the last bull market, and what I want to emphasize to your listeners, Maurice, and that is that 90% of the move comes in the last 10% of the time. If you look at the silver and gold bull markets starting in the 1970s, I actually look at the bull market starting for silver at least in 1965 because that's when it was basically demonetized. You could go till 1968 and turn in a silver certificate and actually obtain silver bullion for it. But that was at uh, the monetary price of $1.29 per ounce for silver. And if you went all the way to January 1979, so this is like 15 years or so, the price of silver had gone from the $1.29 monetary standard fixed price to about $6. But in that last year, from January 79 to January 1980, silver went from $6 to $50. So you had an over 800% increase in the last 10% of the time. That's how these markets move. Gold went from roughly the $300 level up to $800, so not quite a 300% move. So you had a, about a 900% move, or 800, as I said, and less than 300. So you had roughly a three-to-one ratio where silver outperformed gold by threefold. But that was, in, again, a very small time frame, that one year that I've selected to talk about. The point I want to make is that all currencies have failed. I think the biggest thing that I've tried to do over the years that I've been on the Internet and done interviews like yours is to get people to think critically. And the main premise is people love guarantees. You know, if you had that one horse you could bet on and, you know, make a small fortune at the track or that football game or whatever, and I'm not advocating gambling. What I'm trying to say is that people really like certainty. People strive to make their conditions around them uh, predictable so that they can feel secure. And the same holds true in the financial markets. And you can't in my business guarantee anything you're not allowed to but i can almost guarantee this every fiat currency that's ever been recorded during man's history has failed and so the idea is why won't the dollar fail as the reserve currency of the world and of course we both know that it is failing from the example i gave in the 1913 to present day an ounce of gold hasn't changed its mass has remained constant throughout the universe for that 103 years or so that we talked about. What's changed is the amount of paper it takes to purchase that same fixed mass of gold. That's what's changed, which is the depreciation of the currency. So in the long term, gold's mass doesn't change. The value of gold changes in the currency. And so this is the big problem, is where exactly is the currency going to fail or how do you measure its failure? 
it's uh, worth about four cents from where it was in 1913. And yet no one stops to really think about that other than, you know, academics like us, the Austrian school, a few, uh, you know, clear thinkers. And this is what I want. I want the critical thinking for people to wake up and say, geez, if it's gone from, uh, you know, 100 cents to four cents in 103 years, Where's it going to be 103 years from now? Will it exist? And the answer is no, it won't. It won't exist in this form. Uh, there will probably be some currency. It's hard to say. What I want to say is very simple. You've got to think about this. You've got to think about it critically because it's probably the most important topic that intelligent beings can think about. Because no matter what your religious beliefs, no matter what your ethnic background, no matter what your sexual orientation, it doesn't matter. What matters is money transcends everything and it's critical. And no one really understands what money is. They think currency is money. And as we've you know, alluded to in this discussion is, is currency is something far different than money. And if you would, please do share with everyone, what is the definition of a dollar? Well, it's uh, 371.25 grains of 0.999 fine silver. That's the definition of a dollar. It's a weight. So people don't know that. They don't understand it. And even what I just said will probably confuse a lot of people. But that is at law, even today, the definition of a dollar. It's a weight in silver, it's a constant, and this is where uh, the country was actually founded. That's in the book, the Silver Manifesto. We actually go into that idea uh, rather in depth so that people can kind of grasp on to what the thinking was in the founding or beginning of the nation because the forefathers knew the devastation of a paper currency because they had experienced it with the continental before the uh, constitution was formed and the uh, the whole system really was set up. So this is something that's critically important, but yet again glossed over and you'll never learn about that, you know, in the mainstream uh, school system. Agreed. And, and if you're wondering what that source is, that is the 1792 coin act for the definition of a dollar. Please do Take a look and uh, uh, educate yourself on the definition of a dollar. You mentioned the last bull market. Uh, I don't know the exact statistics, but was it 8% of the world population owned precious metals versus today? I think it's 0.3. Is that correct? Well, no one knows for sure. So, you know, you're going to make an educated guess from uh, some of the better sources that I know of. Uh, really, the idea back uh, in that bull market was about one, maybe two percent at the most owned it. Now, I've heard uh, numbers as high as what you threw out there, and that might have been true in a specific region like the United States, which I really doubt it was that high. But on a global basis, no, it's more like perhaps one okay. percent. And the point three, I think it's uh, maybe higher than that. But I think the idea is what we need to stress. So let me do that. The idea is that uh, if you want to hedge uh, an outcome, such as a financial collapse where the dollar is destroyed or there's a bank run or bank closure or a brokerage house goes under, all the things that we've already experienced, I'm not being a doomer, I'm just saying, hey, it's what's already taken place in 2008, what happened in London with BlackRock, what's happened with Lehman Brothers. If, if more of that were to take place, so I'm talking about a fact, but I'm projecting it into the future, uh, and you want to protect yourself with precious metals, 
and you decided the prudent amount was 10%, which is what I recommend to most people, but 20% is really better, but let's just use the 10%. If you had the net worth of everybody that has a net worth, which isn't that many people these days, and they put 10% of it into the precious metals, you couldn't put a paper price on these markets mm -hmm. because they're so precious. There's so little of it relative to the amount of currency that's, that's sloshing around in these markets. So that's the point I want to make. It's better to get it before you need it than to try to get it after these markets go ballistic, which I believe strongly they will. I really think, even at these low prices today, that when that change in consciousness happens, that catalyst that takes place, whatever that is, that there is the run to gold. And believe me, there's no fever like gold fever. As I said before, money transcends everything. So when people are scared that their money is not going to purchase them what they need tomorrow, and they decide that they're going to buy something valuable with it, be it a jar of peanut butter or an ounce of silver, there's going to be a rush into the precious metals like we've never seen in all the recorded history. That's what I truly believe, and I think that's not that far from us. I think we're probably going to witness something like that in the next few years. And for the listeners, uh, David has a YouTube channel. We'll, we'll provide the link for that. But in that, you have that scenario with the two ounces of silver. I thought that was amazing how you put that together, and it really made sense to a lot of individuals that I referenced to your site. Uh, it really made them understand how precious it truly is. Uh, so we'll put a, a link on there. And switching gears slightly, if, we, if I may, as much as you advocate the holding of precious metals, uh, you don't directly sell it. Um, but you advocate before you do anything, as you just alluded to here, is get the precious metals. And then you have a service, uh, a monthly subscription of the Morgan Report. I'd like to talk about that briefly, if I may. Absolutely. In fact, I'm rebranding from the silverinvestor.com to the Morgan Report. I have both URLs. The Morgan Report uh, is more than just silver, and that's sort of a, a mistaken belief out there in the, uh, you know, in the populace and the internet that that's all I focus on. Certainly, silver and gold is something that I have focused on and will continue to do so, but we do much, much more than that. We look for value throughout the entire resource sector. The resource sector represents basically commodities, and these are things that we need, not things that we want. So going uh, to juxtapose the stock market, uh, commodities are really a different sector, although there's you know some stocks or companies that are based in uh, commodities, such as an oil stock, that's a commodity. I mean, Exxon, and basically buying a commodity. You're buying a business, but you're buying a business that revolves around a commodity. You know, back on point, uh, this commodity cycle is extremely low right now, and the stock market is really overvalued right now. So this is a good time to shift your thinking or your consciousness into what has the most value if I am an investor. Now, I do believe that the commodity cycle will come back, but I also believe that it's going to take some time. And I also think that we're in a position now where, you know, these low oil prices and low commodity prices will probably stick around for a while. I do also think that the top tier of all the commodities, which is money, which is gold, silver, and in some cases, platinum, palladium, but gold and silver specifically, will take off on their own vis-a-vis the other commodities. So in other words, as I said a moment ago, uh, based on a lot of different reasons, gold and silver will take off on their own regardless of economic conditions. It's more about a faith in the monetary system or something happening that's a crisis hedge such as uh, 
no more war problems or maybe a food crisis or anything. I mean, there's so many uh, situations that cause people to seek confidence and confidence in money is something that people have basically as an instinct. It's just that no one thinks about it. No one really talks about it. You're never going to get any monetary education from the mainstream press. They have something to sell you, and that's based on the establishment. The establishment sells you on the fact that money is complicated. You don't understand it. We do. Trust us. Give your money to your broker. Give your money to your bank. Do what we tell you and move along. And, of course, this is probably the worst thing that you can do is to not take responsibility for your own money because there have been times in history where people get cypressed where their bank accounts are uh, cut by, uh, you know, 20%, 40%. There are times like uh, recently in Argentina where your bank account uh, is intact, only there's a slight restriction on it. You're only allowed to take out 200 pesos a week, no matter how many millions of dollars you have in the banking system. So these things do happen. Again, I'm talking fact, not conspiracy, not fiction. I'm talking reality. And these are things that people think about after it happens to them. What I am trying to urge people to do is critically think before that possibility takes place in their lives and what they can do. Well, you've reached one person. That was me. I have to give you kudos. You're one of the pioneers along with, uh, I have to mention his name as well, Rick Rule, when you mentioned Platinum and Palladium. And also kudos to uh, David Smith and uh, Chris Marchese, your colleagues. Uh, years ago, you were advocating a position in Platinum and Palladium, and uh, really no one ever discusses Platinum and Palladium, and they happen to be uh, some of my favorite metals, to be <laughs> more specific about that. But uh, I have to give you kudos, because that, that tells me more about your work, the breadth and depth that you have. Uh, you even get into other companies as well, different sectors within the natural resource space. So do take advantage of uh, the expertise and uh that uh, David has with his with the staff. Let's talk about the valuation proposition uh, briefly, if we can, about just the cost of production and the actual price of the the uh, spot price of any one of the metals. Sure. In gold, uh, it was around the fourteen hundred dollar level, and I'm just doing this in my head. Uh, when oil was roughly a hundred dollars a barrel, now because oil is like under forty, as we're doing the interview. Uh, the price of gold, and this is the all-in sustaining costs. Cash costs are a, a misleading statement. You can look that up on Google. I don't have time to explain it. But the actual total cost getting out to go out of the ground, probably somewhere in the $1,100 an ounce for a very efficient mining company. Silver, uh, back at the higher oil price, was roughly $22 an ounce. Today, some of the most efficient silver mines on the planet can scrape by at something around $14.50, $15. So both the metals right now are either at or below the cost of production. And anytime you can buy any commodity, be it corn, soybeans, lumber, oil, metals, any metal, base metal, precious metal, and have some patience, you are going to do well. And the reason being is obvious. If you can buy a commodity, especially a metal, because metals don't have the problem that you have with most commodities, which is a storage issue or a situation with the agriculturals where you know they could rot or something could get eaten or weather would harm them or whatever. Metals, uh, you can secure a huge amount of value in a very small space, even silver. People talk about how bulky it is. It's bulky relative to gold. But believe me, most people couldn't afford a, uh, 
you know, a 10 by 10 by uh, eight room in their house full of silver. Believe me, that's a lot of money. Uh, so anyway, the idea is that uh, that's the top tier commodity again. And this is something that if you have patience and you can buy it, you're doing better than most silver miners. Think about that. You know, when you're a stock investor, what you're really doing, although most people don't think about it or talk about it, is you are a business owner. You know, so many Americans are, oh, I wish I owned my own business. I wish I owned my own business. Well, you could own your own business. Open up a brokerage account with one of the online e-type uh, traders. Get that thing going and buy, you know, some really good companies. And you can tell all your friends, what do you do? Well, I own four businesses. I own a uh, oil company, I own a gold mining company, I own a food producing company, and, 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 the, and that's the truth. Now, you might own 0.001% of that company, but you are part owner in that company. That's the idea. Back to the gold and silver situation, if you're buying gold and silver at today's prices, you're doing better than most companies can, and you don't have the problem of you know, locating in a foreign country, labor disputes, a mining cave in a water problem. You might have a bit of a storage problem. And I say a bit of a storage problem because unless you're super wealthy, most people can put their net worth in a uh, couple of desk drawers in silver and uh, they can put it in their uh, pencil tray for gold in most cases. And I'm not trying to um, I hope this doesn't sound uh, crass because I don't mean it to be. What I'm trying to do is give the idea that most people have a misconception about gold. I mean, I did a radio show for the mainstream several years ago, and these guys were kind of just laughing at me, and that's fine. I mean, you know, I love people to laugh, but they were kind of making fun of me about taking these big bars of gold in to get a loaf of bread. And then the, the show closed out and tapered off, and I thought, wow, it's pretty sad because. You could most people can put their entire net worth in uh, in a pair of jeans in their front pockets and walk around and no one knows that they have you know fifty to a hundred thousand dollars worth of value in these several gold coins that again could fit in a jeans pocket front you know both sides pretty easily. Uh, that's the value of gold. So you would take to buy a loaf of bread, you take one of those coins, you take a very sharp knife and you'd scrape off just this little tiny little little bit of gold. And that is a loaf of bread. But these guys had it backwards. You know, they thought that, you know, gold's not very valuable. You need these big bars to get a loaf of bread. So uh, I probably beat that one to death, but these misconceptions are still out there, which of course, being an advocate of honest money and knowing the financial system from a very early age, this just kind of irk me because, you know, for me, it's just absurd that people don't think it through. But then again, I blame. Uh, first of all, I would actually take self-responsibility. In other words, I think people really need to take responsibility for themselves to be educated. But it's also partially not their fault. So I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because the education system kind of slants it that way. It's like, you know, pay attention to the stock market. Give us your money. We'll manage it for you. Get the right mutual fund and everything's fine. Look the other way. Which is really unfortunate. Um, but you make a really great point. That's one of the things I wrote in one of my blogs entitled Precious Metals Portfolio, where I talk about the bifurcation that you need to have in your Silver portfolio specifically is get you the eagles, but also look at uh, your junk silver. And this is where, you know, the case of the loaf of bread, uh, having a, a junk silver dime uh, is the most divisible form of silver you can essentially have with the exception of grains. And there's your loaf of bread. So great example. Um, and if I may as, as well, speaking of bifurcation, 
Uh, would you agree that the bifurcation is holding the precious metals is for insurance and for speculative aspirations, but the mining companies really are leveraged to give you uh, uh, returns that are tenfold that you probably wouldn't receive from the appreciation of, uh, let's say, a, a currency crisis. But if there's a shortage of the metal, look out. And I think that's uh, – is that a fair assumption? I think it's absolutely. It's your thought. It's valid. I would just say I really don't like the insurance part. Uh, and it's okay because certainly – and I've used that word myself. The idea to me is that um, it's better than insurance, and here's why. If you have an insurance policy and uh, you pay the premium every year, uh, you can't go back and get some money back on that you know, 10, the 10 years you didn't use it, okay? Let's say the 11th year, your house has a small problem and you, you utilize your insurance, insurance policy. Uh, on the metals, I mean, if you stack, let's say, uh, you know, 100 ounces of silver, uh, and you can think of it as insurance, that's okay. I mean, I'm not going to tell people how to think. Think of it however you wish. But that 100 ounces, let's say it goes up uh, tenfold over that 10-year time frame, which roughly it did from, you know, 2000 to 2011 it went up from roughly five to 50 didn't stay there very long but regardless you could take that and spend all of it or uh you know so it basically is an insurance policy that you have access to that you can use uh especially if you can time somewhat properly to not only have insurance but also benefit your lifestyle substantially depending on what your downstroke is how much you have as a base so I think it's 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 insurance and a whole lot more than that because the potential is in gold to preserve your wealth in silver to potentially make you wealthy. But you're right. The way you really can leverage is by the mining equities. And here's why. If you buy an ounce of gold, you have an ounce of gold. Insurance, wealth protection, perhaps it will increase your uh, your net worth in real terms. But if you buy a gold mine, and it spins off an ounce of gold to you every year for the next 10 years, which is the better investment. In other words, if you had the old analogy of the golden goose and you had the ability to make a choice and you could buy one golden egg and that's it, or you could buy the goose and it lies golden eggs over and over and over again, which would you buy? Point well taken. <laughs> I couldn't have said it any better than that myself. Well, thank you. And may I ask you uh, a, a recurring theme that I'm seeing? We talked about the stock market earlier, and, and I know that uh, the Morgan Report, you uh, hone in on uh, commodity stocks. I'd like to ask you a question here and see if this is a theme that you see in the natural resource space. Is this uh, debentures? What I'm noticing is that companies in the general stock market, that is, uh, they're accruing debt and then they're purchasing their stocks which has the appearance of the stock price going up and people like to see things go green, but they don't look at the balance sheets. They don't look at the ventures and say so they don't realize why is the price going up and how did the company receive that? Because the companies aren't putting back into research and development. They're just purchasing their own stocks. I'm wondering, are you seeing that also in the natural resource base? Somewhat, but in the general equity space, it's a snake eating its own tail. It's like, wow, look at that 
how awesome this is. They're not spending any money, and uh, the float is, is getting smaller and smaller. But the best analogy I can think of is a snake eating its own tail. This is what's going on. In the resource space, you're not seeing that very much. You do see some stock buyback, and uh, you know, and I won't change what I just said about the snake. What I will say is you're seeing more M&A, mergers and acquisitions, because a resource company is different than most companies. I and mean, most companies that are well-run and they produce a product, you know, that could go on indefinitely. Whereas a resource company starts with, the, with knowing it's going to fail. What does that mean, David? It means simply that if you have the best gold mine in the world and it has a 15-year mine life, 15 years from now it ends in failure. Why? Because you've mined all of that great gold out of that company. It's done. And that's a depleting asset, and that's why you have to value a mining company differently than you would value Apple Computer. Uh, they're different types of businesses, and this is something that's essential to think about. So, uh, you know, it's hard to compare them, Maurice, but I think you brought up a good thing. But no, most of your uh, well-heeled gold and silver companies, and contrary to some of my friends who say that they're all broke, some are very heavily cash rich, and they're looking to deploy the capital to buy assets in the ground that are very undervalued at this point in time, and that's why you are seeing some M&A. In fact, the Morgan Report a while back did a whole report on mergers and acquisitions, and we talked about those that would probably be taking over the smaller companies and which smaller companies we thought were great takeover candidates. And you know what? We've been right in several cases. Not everyone. There's been, I think, one that came about that we go, oh, man, why didn't we see that one? But anyway, uh, so that's a great strategy. So thanks for that question. Well, and again, that's why I, I always reference when someone asks me, hey, where can I learn about precious metals and uh, the natural resource space as a whole and the mining stocks? I always reference your work, uh, the Morgan Report. It is it's a phenomenal piece of work. And again, kudos out to you. I've learned so much from it. And I think it will behoove anyone, again, who's interested in uh, learning about precious metals is to first get the Silver Manifesto. And then certainly uh, we'll provide a link for you and to to. Uh, Take a look at uh, the Morgan Report, uh, get access to it, and David's information, of course, as well. Uh, it's just a wealth of information there, and it's for the most part, it's, it's easy to discern. It's just as anything else, it's a new endeavor. You have to learn new vocabulary, but as you adapt to it, it's uh, it's like a treasure hunt, and it gets so exciting, and you make it exciting. <laughs> well, thank you for that. And I might mention on the book, you know, if you buy the Silver Manifesto, there is a discount code in uh, for the Morgan Report. So if you take advantage of that, you end up getting the book for free. Now, I understand that the Morgan Report is, you know, a monthly newsletter and it's not for everybody, but uh, this is a great time. And I'm saying that for a couple of reasons. One is when we move the website over to the Morgan Report, we're going to increase the cost for the Morgan Report. And secondly, uh, once you lock in the low price, you can stay there as long as you wish. So it's something to consider. Again, it's not for everybody, but that those uh, that are serious about uh, making money in the sector, it is certainly something to consider. You just use the discount code, and you get about a $30, uh, $30 off on a basic letter. So you're paying 100 bucks instead of 130 and the book costs 30 So, again, it's like getting the book for free. Thank you for sharing that. And in conclusion here, I'd like to ask you, I, you know, a lot of my uh, followers ask me, hey, if you ever speak to David, ask him this question. And so I think you know where I'm going to go with this one. It's regarding precious metals and when will we have this this outbreak? What is the catalyst? Because 
when I look at what I thought personally, and I'll be the first to admit it, I thought the catalyst to making precious metals go through the roof was when Germany asked to repatriate their gold and Venezuela as well. And here recently, Texas, and it was a quick blur on the news <laughs> and then on to the next subject. And I thought those would be the catalysts. And unfortunately, I was shocked that they weren't. Um, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think would be the catalyst? Well, you're a great thinker, I think. And, Maurice, <clears throat> you're a great thinker, and I agree with you. I mean, I think the basic idea is that the physical market at some point is going to take over. And this is when there's a non-delivery or uh, there's an excuse made, we're going to bring it to you, you know, next month and next month comes and there's nothing delivered. And yet, as you just said, there's been a couple, three times that this has taken place and yet the market just, just ho-hummed it. It didn't have any effect whatsoever. So I'm not giving up. I think that's probably the most powerful thing is some mislocation in the physical market. But on top of that, markets usually anticipate the future. And so we're in a lull right now that's been a long time. I mean, we've seen the metals go from these highs of 1950 or 1900 for gold, 50 for silver, down to the levels they're currently at. And a lot of metals investors are very, very discouraged. And the reason a market will move is there's some enthusiasm. There's none in the market presently. So it'll probably take something uh, that you know, no one's thinking about right now for these metals to start moving up. What we do know is, you know, when the last seller has sold, and that's probably about now, that any new buying with volume, in other words, some substantial new buying, will start to bid the price higher. But I can't see in the future. I wish I could. I do know that these metals are very undervalued, and I do know that no fiat system lasts forever. I know that the currency debasement is going on rapidly, and most people don't acknowledge it. So the metal could just take off for some unknown reason or some no-one-knows-why reason. I mean, that's definitely a possibility, especially in the financial system we're all living under. So I think I'll conclude with that, but I thank you for your time. I thank you for the great questions. I thank you for letting me uh, talk about the book and the Morgan Report. And hopefully my wish as always has been to being of value to others and getting them to not agree with me, but to think critically about these issues. Well, thank you so much for your time. Before you leave, please give a, a website and uh, how someone can uh, contact you if they have any further questions. Oh, there's a few ways. The best way to get a hold of us is to go to the website, silver-investor.com. Again, I'll be uh, themorganreport.com in the future. That'll be probably early next year. There are uh, a Twitter feed at SilverGuru22. There is a YouTube channel, SilverGuru. There's a separate web page for the book called thesilvermanifesto.com. And if you really want to, you can just call in the office, and that number is in the western uh, states at 480-325-0230 or send an email to support at silver-investor.com. Ladies and gentlemen, David Morgan, thank you again for joining us here on Proven Improbable. I'm your host, Maurice Jackson. Till next time. The information presented on Proven Improbable is provided for educational and informational purposes only, without any express or implied warranty of any kind, including warranties of accuracy, completeness, or fitness for any particular purpose. The information is not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice, or any other advice. You should not make any financial, investment, or trading decision based on any of the information presented without first undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional broker or competent financial.